right, welcome back into the Nick Bob Podcast. Uh, we got a great pod on tap for you today. So I am taping this. It is the 4th of July. It is about noon. So shout out to America. Happy birthday to the good old U.S. of A. And today's pod is called the, uh, it's, I'm calling it the, the, quote, under pressure pod. Husker football assistant coaching style. So here we go. Because if you, if you haven't noticed... This is kind of, uh, this is list season, if you will, for a lot of sports media members where you go, hey, top five this, top five that, top 10 this, top 10 that. It's that time of year. We're kind of in that sports purgatory part of the calendar where you got no no football, no basketball. Major League Baseball is kind of in the dog days of, of the season. We're kind of just counting down the days till the NFL training camp, till fall camps open up for college football and how we kind of all pass the time during this period is lists. That's kind of how we all do it. So the list today, I, I had uh, this was a, a really, really interesting one to do. Challenging in a lot of as- aspects, but very, very interesting to do. So Nebraska has 10 position coaches. You got the, the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, running backs coach, wide receiver, O-line, tight end, defensive coordinator, D-line, outside linebackers, inside linebackers, secondary and special teams. 10 coaches. I'm going to rank the 10 position coaches for Nebraska in terms of pressure. Who has the most pressure on them? And there are a lot of different ways to define pressure, to rank this, because everybody's got pressure on them on a variety of levels, right? Where you think about, okay, impact on the team success, the importance of their group flourishing, who's who's returning in that position group that's a known commodity, tons of proven guys, or does a position group have a bunch of question marks? And I also think what impacts this to a certain extent is a little bit of past performance as well, meaning if a group or a coach has performed well, they've built up a little bit of equity uh, amongst the fans in a lot of different ways. So there's a lot to take into consideration when ranking and spitting out 10 through 1, 1 through 10, okay? So I'm going to go in reverse order. I'm going to start at number 10, the least amount of pressure to the most amount of pressure. So 10 to 1. Let's do it. At number 10, I got Barrett Rude, inside linebackers coach. Now, I could I could hear people laughing right now. Oh, God. I could hear people saying to themselves, wow, big shock. Nick's put, Nick puts one of his best friends as the least amount of pressure. Uh, big shock. I get it. I do. I, I, I get it. But here's how I think about it. First of all, I think that position group has performed pretty well over the years. I, I guess for me, I don't get a lot of Barrett Rude angst from the fans on Twitter or in my inbox. I don't, I don't get a lot of that. I don't, when I'm listening to sports talk radio, I don't hear a lot of calls. You know, like, let's go to Chuck, who's in Bellevue, and Chuck's like, yeah, I tell you what, Barrett Rude stinks. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't hear those calls. I don't get those tweets. I don't get those emails. Second of all, in terms of a position group with the least amount of question marks around it, at least at the top, and the most amount of confidence in knowing what you got and feeling pretty good about it, I'd say inside linebackers is pretty dang high on that list. Really, really just quickly go through in your brain. In terms of think of a position group, who you know is starting, who you know at that spot that is proven to be pretty solid at that spot. I think you could argue the inside linebackers is the highest on that on on the list of known commodities. 
Think about it. That position, two returning starters inside, Reimer and Henrich. They're the top two returning tacklers on the team a year ago. Again, inside linebacker play has been solid. I think it's going to continue to be solid. I think Reimer and Henrich, with those two guys, you got a really, really good two-man combination. I don't think there's very much pressure on Barrett Rude. I don't. I think he's done a good job. I think he's got that group in a good spot, especially with those two guys. So I got Barrett Rude at number 10 on the pressure rankings for Nebraska's assistant coaches. At number nine, I got Travis Fisher, secondary's coach, defensive backs coach. Now this one is tough because this position group has a lot of holes to fill. So that's that makes it – I had a tr- I had trouble – where I wanted to slot him with that because you lose Cam Taylor-Britt, Deontay Williams, Dismuke. So from that standpoint, you would think Travis Fisher's got some pressure on him to fill those holes. But I think the way Travis Fisher's recruited and coached up that group, he's kind of built up some equity and some benefit of the doubt. So here's another way to put it. When's the last time you've been with your buddies? And you're all, you're hanging out, maybe drinking some beers, whatever. You're hanging out and you're talking about Husker football. When's the last time you were with your buddies talking Husker football and said, you know who hasn't done a good job at all is Travis Fisher. I tell you right now, you know I got my eye on right now that needs to step up Travis Fisher. Or he needs to hit the road. Yeah, my guess that isn't happening. That's not a conversation that is occurring. And to a certain degree, that matters in all this as well. Kind of like what I talked about with with Barrett. And when you consider who that group has, Miles Farmer, Quentin Newsom, Tommy Hill, like they got some talent, I believe, waiting in the wings, in my opinion. So when you combine all of those things, I just don't, I think Travis Fisher isn't under the gun right now, in my opinion. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, you're replacing a lot of veteran proven dudes back there, which is challenging, right? Cam Taylor Britt, Deontay Williams, like, when Deontay Williams went out, like there was a you, you could feel that void. And Cam Taylor Britt, I I didn't think he had a great year. I thought he got up to a slow start, but I mean, that's a talented athletic playmaking dude. So again, there's some pressure on him. I just think there are other guys that have more pressure on him. So I got Travis Fisher at number nine. And number eight, I'm going with Sean Becton. It's an interesting situation with, with Coach Becton. He did a great job with Austin Allen. And it's kind of felt like Becton has been one of the more reliable coaches on the entire staff. But all of a sudden, his tight end room's in an interesting spot. Austin Allen leaves. Thomas Fedoni is injured. And all of a sudden, that group does have some pretty big question marks around it in terms of who's going to lead the charge in being a big-time difference-making pass catcher. They do got some known commodities on a, on some different levels where you got Vokalek, you got Chancellor Brewington, A.J. Rollins had a good spring, Chris Hickman is there, and you, and you feel like the talent is, is, is with him. So they got some pieces. But to me, it almost feels like a band without a lead singer, if that makes sense. Like That's, that's how I would describe that tight end group. They got, they got a lot of complimentary pieces. They just need Mick Jagger, right? They need Adam Levine. They need, the, they need the front man. That was Austin Allen. I thought that was going to be Thomas Fedoni. And maybe Vokalek could emerge, but who knows? But to circle back to Becton, I just don't think there's a ton of pressure on him because of past performances. I think he's another guy like Travis Fisher that's earned the benefit of the doubt to a certain degree. 
you know, and and listen, what he has there, he's got some pieces to work with. But certainly there's that Austin Allen void is a big one. But still, don't think there's necessarily a ton of pressure on Becton, but there's a there's a, there's a little amount of pressure on. So I got Sean Becton, tight ends coach, at number eight. At number seven, I got Eric Chenander. And I know a lot of you might be going, whoa, wow, he should be. There's got to be more pressure on him, right? I had a really hard time. I'm not sure there was a guy that I had a harder time ranking than Eric Chenander. Because whenever you are the, the coordinator, there is pressure, period. But man, Chenander has totally remade himself in the eyes of Husker fans. He was the whipping boy, the scapegoat when Scott Frost and the crew arrived four years ago, almost five years ago. I was doing daily radio at the time, and it was incredible how much Husker fans already had one foot out the door on that guy when he arrived. It was nuts. So many people had made up their mind on that guy. Not good enough. He's not, nope, not good enough. He's going to be the guy that holds this whole thing back. Listen to me. He's going to, that's going to be the coach that needs to, that's going to hold the whole thing back. I got those calls and emails all the time. But here we are heading into year five, and Chenander's defense has taken noticeable, tangible, big strides of improvement every year. And listen, last year, that side of the ball was was pretty damn good, if we're being honest with with ourselves. There's a reason I made the tunnel walk (laughs) with what I talked about on this podcast that you have to go back to 2009-2010 to see a defense that had performed at that level, and it was coming off of the Michigan State game where held Kenneth Walker and that, that whole offense to, what, like 10 total yards in the second half? And that defense really, really... Had a pretty damn good year. For not having a pass rusher, dealing with terrible special teams, and a turnover-prone quarterback and an inconsistent offense that you know that couldn't really consistently do a lot of things, they were they were pretty damn good. I thought Shenander did a hell of a job last year. Like when you think about a, a a starting eleven dudes on the defensive side, and you look at their talent, you look at what they have, you look at what they don't have, and you kind of spit out what their ceiling is, right? To me, they, like, I thought Eric Chenander maxed that group out. So, and again, with him and what he's in charge of, you can see the tangible progress each year. That group steadily improved. So again, the defense led by Eric Chenander has not been the problem. So you do have to start there. But at the same time, the reality is Eric Chenander lost a ton on that side of the football. There are enormous holes to fill. JoJo Doman, Daniel, Stilly, Cam Taylor-Britt, a ton of people in that secondary. So naturally, yes, Eric Chenander has some pressure on him to fill all those holes and get that whole group operating at a high level. So, you know, like a lot of people on this list so far, they do have some holes to fill and they got some question marks with, their, with what they're in charge of. But they've, been a, they've had a pretty good track record so far, right? Becton, Shabbos Fisher, now Eric Chenander. 
So it's hard. Becton's got to replace his you know, top two tight ends, likely, but he's been pretty good. Travis Fisher's got to replace three, three starters in the secondary, but he's been pretty good. Eric Chenander, lots of holes to fill with the whole defense, but he's been pretty good. Kind of a little bit of a pattern. So I'm going to put Chenander at number seven on the pressure list. Now, listen, you could easily convince me he needs to be higher on the list. I can totally buy that. I mean, he's the defensive coordinator for crying out loud. But I just think he has done a really good job so far on that side of the ball. The defense has taken strides, developed players, gotten better each year. You can see it. That matters in all of this. It's not like we're doing the men in black light and we're forgetting everything that happened up until this point and we're judging things solely on this year, right? But there is no doubt that there's some pressure on him due to all of the top players that he has to replace on defense, and he is the coordinator. So I'm not saying there's no pressure, but I'll put... Chenander at number seven. At number six, I got Brian Applewhite. Another guy, I'll be honest, I had a hard time figuring out where to put. A lot of these guys were were challenging. Certainly, Brian Applewhite isn't one of the top three or four or five coaches with the most pressure on him, but he's got some pressure. Getting new coach coming from TCU, but I had a hard time figuring out how much pressure he really had on him. So I put him at number six. This position, the running back spot, has really been a weakness for the Frost for the entire Frost era. We've been over this a bajillion times. And while some of it is just raw recruiting, some of some of the running back spot is just raw recruiting. You get the stud, you bring him in, you let him be a stud. So I think to a certain degree, the problems have been on the front end of a talent evaluation and, and recruiting at that running back spot. But there still has to be some degree of coaching and some degree of development. I'm not going to run from that. And the bottom line is that spot has sorely lacked consistent production. That spot's got to improve. Nebraska has lacked a, le- a real legit difference maker at that position for three years now. So we'll see if a new coach, a fresh set of eyes, a fresh new way of doing things on a daily basis, we'll see if that can change things. Now, what's interesting is Nebraska might have a new starter and a bell cow and Anthony Grant at that running back spot, which could change the complexion of the position. That's the beauty of the running back spot. You just got to get a, a one good player, and it's like, that group's great. But the majority of that running back room looks the same as it did last year. Ramir Johnson, Jacquez Yant, Gabe Irvin, Marquis Stepp are all back. They might have a new starter in Anthony Grant, but the majority of that position will feature the same cast of characters from last season. So we'll see... If a coach, like if if coaching can make a difference. Now again, the reality is Anthony Grant might solve it all. That may be true, but you just don't know. And that position can be at the mercy of a lot of different things. It can be mercy at the offensive line, other the quarterback play, all those things. But the, but there is a real level of ability that has to exist at the on the running back spot as well. Again, that, that position's lacked a difference maker, and it needs one big time. So on some level, yes, Brian Applewhite's got some pressure on him. You could argue that the running back spot's been one of the biggest issues since Frost has been here. So I'll put Brian Applewhite at number six. At number five, I got Mickey Joseph. Let's be honest. People are fired up. Uh, Mickey Joseph is back in Lincoln. Approval rating through the roof. Everyone's pumped. Former player. Always gets people excited. 
And he comes with a really good resume as a coach as well. Rockstar recruiter, big part of LSU's success. He knows Omaha. He's a no-nonsense coach who's coached up some of the top guys like Jamar Chase. I could go on and on, but you know his resume. It's impressive. So naturally, when you come in with all that around you, that resume, being a former player, the spotlight is on you, which brings pressure. And then there is the on-field part of this. Nebraska lost its top pass catcher in Samari Ture and lost one of the most talented guys on the team in Xavier Betts, who left the team in the spring. So there is a lot to figure out at that wide receiver spot. Now, the good news is Mickey Joseph hit the recruiting trail hard. Trey Palmer, Marcus Thompson, Garcia Castaneda, Dakotas Crawford, all big gets. So he's infused that room with a lot of new talent, new blood. And you assume Trey Palmer will likely lead the way for that unit. But you got some new guys that can make a difference, and you got some, you know, the returners, Omar Manning, Oliver Martin, that are need going to need to make some play a pretty big role. So I think Mickey Joseph does have some pieces to work with, but much like that running back spot, that position has lacked a truly elite difference making talent type of dude for a while. Samari Ture was good. I don't think Samari Ture wasn't amazing. He's good. He's a good player. Same thing with Stanley Morgan. Good player. I wouldn't say Stanley Morgan was just a, oh, my God. He's a good player, though. But certainly, I mean, from Stanley to Ture, it's been a, ugh. Had a little bit of Wandell in there, but the running back spot was so bad, you had to move Wandell to the running back spot. Other than that, it's been a lot of Cade Warner and, yeah. The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that – has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. The reality is, too, with this offense, Whipple's likely going to want to sling it around a little bit, so Nebraska better have some guys at that wide receiver spot that can make some plays. Again, Nebraska's just lack those elite game-breaker guys at the skill spots. And Mickey Joseph was brought here to change that, both with coaching and recruiting. Just think there's a lot on Mickey Joseph's plate. He's got to coach up that wide receiver room. He's got to get those wide receivers ready to be difference makers. If Nebraska's offense wants to be you know, dynamic and explosive, they need dynamic, explosive guys on the perimeter. And so we'll see if Mickey Joseph can make that happen. I really think there is a fair amount of pressure on Mickey Joseph. So I got Mickey at number five. At number four, Mike Dawson. Weird situation with, with Coach Dawson because he's coaching two positions. He's got the outside linebackers and the defensive line. And those two spots lost a ton. 
Jojo Doman's gone. Probably the best player on, on the defense. Daniel, Stilly, Casey Rogers all gone. Again, they're really, really thin at the defensive line position. Really thin. But I think much like Mickey Joseph's wide receiver situation, the defensive line has brought in some potential high-impact guys to fill a lot of those voids. O'Shawn Mathis, Devin Drew, Stephon Wynn from Alabama, all those guys could potentially fill some major holes on the pass rush interior D-line situation. Drew and Wynn inside, Mathis on the edge, wreaking havoc on the quarterback. So the cupboard isn't completely bare, but listen, it's not overflowing either. So there's a lot on Mike Dawson's plate this year. He's got to get that interior D-line play ready to go. He's got to develop some guys from the depth standpoint. He's got to bring in those in those newcomers and get them to hit the ground running. Some big question marks there. And in a conference like the Big Ten, in a division like the Big Ten West, if you aren't up to the challenge in the trenches stopping the run, you're in trouble. So Mike Dawson's got a lot of pressure on him. And then the pass rushing outside linebacker element of, of all this as, as well. Nebraska's lacked a pass a, a, a difference-making pass rusher since probably 2014 and Randy Gregory. So they, they finally might have a guy to fill that in O'Shawn Mathis. And then you do got Garrett Nelson, whose trajectory of improvement and development has been solid. They could have a nice two-man combo on the edge. But again, you got to go do it. The reality is, think about it this way. If you can't stop the run and you can't rush the quarterback, good luck. Good luck being a good defense. Dawson is somewhat coaching both those things. He needs the interior dudes to stuff the run, hold up, and he needs O'Shawn Mathis to be a star. We'll see if those things happen. There is a good amount of pressure on Mike Dawson. I got him at number four. You could have easily convinced me he needs to be higher on that list, but I got him at four. At number three, I got Bill Bush, special teams coach. You know what's interesting is you could make a case that everything for this football team can be the exact same and you just get average, sufficient special teams play, and Nebraska will win six or seven games. You could build that case. Offense stays the same. Defense stays the same. Some of the issues and weaknesses with those two units remain prevalent, and the special teams just gets to where it's just average. Again, not great, not elite, not spectacular, just average, and Nebraska's probably going to go to a bowl game. You could build that case, and you know what? It's probably a case I could buy. So if you really believe that, then in some ways you could argue that Bill Bush, the special teams coach, needs to be higher on this list. And I'd be willing to listen to that. But I'll peg him at number three because I do think there is a lot of pressure on this guy. Because listen, he's taking over what was a total debacle dumpster fire of a situation with special teams. It was just staggering how inept and how bad Nebraska was and has been in special teams. Punting was awful. Field goal kicking was terrible. Zero, and I mean zero threat in the return game. None. And last year, got a punt blocked and returned for a touchdown last year against Iowa. Got an extra point blocked and returned for two points last year at Oklahoma. I mean, it's it was with it without a question 
cost Nebraska games last year. It has been awful, painfully awful. So Bill Bush has to fix literally everything. He has brought in all new specialists, new kicker in Bleak Road, new punter in Bushini, and then he's got options at the return spot as well and a variety of new transfers, Trey Palmer, Anthony Grant, to name a few, Tommy Hill. So we'll see if it's just simply getting new and better players in the specialist spots will solve the lion's share of the issues. We'll see if that's the case. And while that can fix a lot of the problems, I still think there there is more to be addressed than just that. Coverage unit schemes, all that stuff. But also just like a culture and a standard with the entire unit. Getting starters and your and your top guys to be on special teams, to be involved, getting the big hot shot recruits to be on special teams. I feel like we've said it for years, but this staff should be able to easily sell the team on the importance of special teams after last year and how much it's cost them. I've said that for like three straight years. I I always say, you know, the one thing Frost should be able to go and get in front of his team and say, guys, look at what happened last year. We better focus in on special teams. It's, it should be put on a tee for him and for the team to buy into it, and then every year it's just awful. And so a part of the reason you hire a special teams coach is it further drives home its importance. And when you have one coach, one dedicated coach, whose sole focus is just special teams, that sends a message to the group, to the team. And... This is also where I think Scott Frost, the CEO, can show itself too. I think Frost should spend a lot of time with special teams. If he's around it, just around it, it'll elevate the focus and importance of it. So I think Scott Frost can help Bill Bush in that regard, but still, Bill Bush is in charge, and he has to get that entire unit to improve. If they don't, if special teams stays a disaster, Nebraska's going to have a really hard time overcoming that and having a good season. If the special teams is still horrible, it's likely going to be a bad year. So there is a, there's a lot of pressure on Coach Bush. So I got Bill Bush at number three special teams coach in terms of most pressure on the 10 assistant coaches for Nebraska football. At number two, second most pressure. On him, on the assistant coaches, I got Donovan Raiola. I'm sure if you polled Husker fans about this question, there'd be a lot of votes for Raiola at number one that he's got the most pressure on. And I tell you right now, I really, 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 really considered having him number one on this list. I really did. I think there's an argument and a great argument to be made to have him number one. Hard to be good in football if you're bad in the O-line. Just the truth. There's a domino effect to the bad if you're bad in the in the interior on the offensive line, especially in a conference like the Big Ten. You can be eh at the offensive line in the Big 12 and, and still do okay. In the Big Ten, mm-mm. So any offensive line coach is extremely important for a team's success, but it's even more important in the Big Ten, in my opinion. And it's even more challenging this year for Raiola when you consider that that O-line is thin, lost some key pieces, including their bust offensive lineman and Cam Jurgens, 
And then you add to that the news of the last week or so in Nerlens Noeli, who's suspended for next season for failing a drug test. He was going to start at guard. That's a big blow. So again, a thin offensive line that wasn't very good last year has some major holes to fill. Now, Teddy Prohaska is is returning back to form, coming off that injury. He's got to make sure that he is 100% healthy by the time they board that plane and head to Dublin because he is now Nebraska's best and most talented offensive lineman. But there's a lot of pressure on Royola. If that offensive line doesn't get better, good luck. That team had a hard time running the ball consistently last year, led the charge with the penalties situation frequently. Remember all the false starts and stuff? Ugh. And had a hard time protecting the quarterback. Again, that's uh, I, I saw that stat where last year, Adrian Martinez was pressured on 42% of his dropbacks, which was the most in the country. Those things have to get better. Because while, while Casey Thompson and Chubba Purdy aren't statues, I don't think they have the escapability of Martinez, though. So... Think about think about how bad and prevalent the pat like the protecting of the quarterback felt, and think about how many times Martinez had to Houdini his way out of something. So the O line looked shaky running the ball, protecting the quarterback, and that was with an athletic, mobile, elusive quarterback back there. So there's a lot of pressure on the offensive line, man. Controlling the line of scrimmage, getting a push, protecting the quarterback, controlling the ball, all vital to a team's success. And it gives your play caller so much more to do and call. Like, it's hard to call plays when you can't block consistently. So inherently, naturally, there's a ton of pressure on the O-line. Rayola's got to replace Jurgens, got to replace Noelle, got to get Teddy Pen- Teddy Prohaska back and right, figure out the best five-man combination with those positions, get them to gel and come together fast. And I just feel like over the last handful of months, that microscope has really slid towards Rayola and sliding him under it and that offensive line. Feels like over the last couple of months, you listen to sports talk radio, you read columns, you gauge the fans. Feels like there's a lot of talk and a lot of chatter around Rayola and around that offensive line. And let's be honest, Rayola is a pretty inex- is pretty inexperienced as a coach. I don't think that is it's necessarily right or fair to say what I'm about to say, but some feel like the only reason Oriola is the offensive line coach is because his brother was an all-time great offensive lineman in Nebraska and his nephew was the number one quarterback recruit, five-star dude in, what, the 2024 class. Again, I don't think that's fair or entirely true, but that narrative and that sentiment is out there. So I just feel like the the eye of Husker Nation is on him and on that offensive line. And when you combine that with what the offensive line has is, is lost and, re, and replacing and how they performed last year and the importance of the offensive line playing well, pressure. Pressure. So I got Donovan Raiola, offensive line coach, at number two. And at number one, the assistant coach with the most pressure on him, to me, is the offensive coordinator and quarterback's coach, Mark Whipple. You can try to outthink yourself on this one, but in my opinion, the pressure still falls back onto Whipple. It's his offense now. 
It's his quarterback now. It's his game plan now. It's his scheme now. He's the one calling the plays. He's taking over for Frost in all of those departments. I think Whipple has the most pressure on him to put all this together, install an offense, figure out how to make all this new work, settle in on a quarterback, get that quarterback to perform, touch all the right buttons. It's just a lot. I just, I think I have a hard time saying this sentence. Like if I, if try to imagine saying this sentence at the next December, like December 1st. Boy, you know, Mark Whipple wasn't good, but Nebraska had a good year. I just feel like to a certain degree, those two things are tied together. But what's weird is this. I feel like Whipple could be good and have a good year, and Nebraska may struggle again and only win five games or something like that. But I feel like if Whipple has a bad year, it all but assures Nebraska will have a bad year. So I struggle to put it in the way of Nebraska goes as Whipple goes, but I think the opposite of it is probably true. If Whipple struggles, Nebraska's going to struggle. And maybe I'm wrong on this, and maybe you could convince me that it's this had to be Riola at the number one spot in terms of the most pressure. You could have maybe it's Bill Bush, maybe it's Dawson, but I just think with all that is going to be on Mark Whipple's plate, installing a brand new offense, game planning, scheming, play calling, coaching the quarterbacks, all the newcomers that have to hit the ground running and be instant impact difference-making guys on offense. All of that is on Mark Whipple's plate. And to me, all of that trumps what's on the other nine coaches' plates, in my opinion. He's just, Whipple's in charge of so much. I mean, just being the quarterback coach alone, there's a lot of pressure. So, yeah, there's just, there's so much for him to get right. He's got to coach up the quarterbacks. He's got to decide on a quarterback and manage that room. He's got to figure out how to wed what he wants as an offensive coordinator with the strengths on this roster. If, if he can't necessarily approach this exactly like he did a year ago with Kenny Pickett, who was a Heisman candidate, right? He's got to also install this whole offense, scheme against some of the best defenses in the country, call plays, which is a monster task. Oh, and by the way, that offense has got to hit the ground running. It's not like he's got a long runway with this thing. Right out the gates, he's got to deal with Pat Fitzgerald. That's not easy. That offense got to be clicking right away. I mean, damn, that's a lot. And you know what's funny? I Think about it this way. Some, sometimes... Sometimes you can just follow the money for answers on things, too. The highest-paid assistant coach at Nebraska, Mark Whipple, $875,000, almost a million dollars a year. The bigger the job, the bigger the paycheck, the more that's expected of you. So in my opinion, the coach with the most pressure on him of all 10 Nebraska assistant coaches for next year is Mark Whipple. So there you go. Curious what you guys think. There's a lot of different ways you could go with this. Uh, I mean, a million. So in review, 10 assistant coaches 
under pressure list for Nebraska's 10 coaches, from least to most pressure. At number 10, Barrett Root. At number nine, Travis Fisher. At number eight, Sean Becton. Number seven, Eric Chenander. Number six, Brian Applewhite. Number five, Mickey Joseph. Number four, Mike Dawson. Number three, Bill Bush. Number two, Donovan Riola. And at number one, I got Mark Whipple. Curious what you guys think. Hit me up. Email me. Nick at NickBlau.com. Hit me on Twitter at Nick Bob. Food for thought. You do the dish. A Huda Media Production.